scripture passage this morning is Psalm 1. If you are using the Bible available in the pew, it can be found on page 448. Please read with me. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the Lord, in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is God's word for us today. Good morning. My name, is, uh, my name is Matthew Louts. I'm the pastor of worship here at Grace Church. It's my privilege and joy to bring God's word to us today. Well, this morning, if you notice, we're taking a break from our study in the book of Matthew. Next week, Pastor Mike will be leading us into that most blessed sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, starting in chapter 5. But for today, you get me and, and this probably lesser of sermons. But, but real quick, I just want to make mention that this week we are beginning something together that I'd like to invite you to join us in. We want to memorize the first part of the Sermon on the Mount called the Beatitudes. We want to memorize these 12 verses as a church. We want to memorize these 12 precious verses verses. And so our goal is for this week, starting today, is to memorize verse 1 of chapter 5. I think you guys are up for that. We can do this together, 12 verses, 12 weeks. We're going to memorize the Beatitudes together. We're going to let these blessings sink into our hearts by memorizing these together. So please join us in that each week a different verse, verse one, the next week, verse two, and so on, until we get all the way through. Well, now, as we enter into Psalm one together, would you pray with me? Would you pray for me as we ask our Father to empower us by his spirit to see, understand, and obey his word? Let's pray. Our Father, Lord God in heaven, Lord, we approach your word with reverence. We approach your word with humility. It is the revelation from you to us 
is what we need today. Lord, I am especially humbled as I bring this word to your people. Lord, may it serve your purpose. May it glorify you and edify us. Father, feed us today with your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I see it, Psalm 1 is the most appropriate psalm to meditate on here before we enter into that glorious Sermon on the Mount. Because as Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Well, Psalm 1 has often been referred to as the gateway psalm because it serves as the introduction to the whole 150 psalms of the Psalter. If we think of the entire book of Psalms as a road, as a path, that we travel with God, a journey with God through life. In this way, then, Psalm 1 is like the gateway onto that road and into life with God. So it, in many ways, then, is the narrow gate. And the gateway begins, blessed is the man. You see, this psalm is about a man. The Hebrew word here is the singular for man. So it's just one man. An individual who, who we can already see is set apart from other men. Because why? Because he is blessed. And this word that is translated for us as blessed means the perception of blessedness. God blesses a person... And then people perceive and call that person blessed. We might distinguish it with the phrasing blessed. The person that is blessed by God we call blessed. And in his blessedness, he is set apart from other men. And in that sense, he becomes an ideal man. He is the man that we all want to be. We all want to be known as blessed, don't we? We want others to see us and call us blessed. So how can we be like that guy? Well, this is the point of the psalm. It presents us with the man who can truly be called blessed and defines him by a contrast with his exact opposite, what we can call the cursed. You can read an almost identical comparison in Jeremiah chapter 17 between the cursed man and the blessed man. One man like a shallow, rooted shrub in the desert because he trusts in the ways of men. And the other 
trusts in the ways of God and is like a fruitful tree that sends out its roots deep into the streams of water. Psalm 1 paints a similar picture of the blessed man. And it does so in three sections. Verses 1 and 2 present us with the difference in their root. Verses 3 and 4 present us with the difference in their fruit. And finally, verses 5 and 6 present us with the difference in their outcome. I couldn't think of a word that rhymed with root and fruit, so outcome. The blessed man and the cursed. Different roads, different fates. One path is wide, the other narrow. One path, easy, the other, hard. But one ends in life, the other in death. And the question that the psalmist wants us to answer at the end is, which path will you choose? So let's dive into this psalm together. Verses 1 and 2, different roots. Verses 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks, not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Verse 1 begins by describing the blessed man in contrast to a group of people, the wicked, the sinners, and the scoffers. Now, these three words, you can nitpick about their meaning, but essentially they're describing the same type of person, which we can generally refer to as the worldly person. They trust only in themselves, their own counsel. And so they stand in opposition to God and to his counsel. And they do so either knowingly or oftentimes, unknowingly. You see, these people define themselves as they see fit. They live for their truth. Does that sound familiar? They determine their own success. They manufacture their own blessedness and believe they control their own destiny. However, the truly blessed man does not walk like that. He doesn't stand with them, and he certainly doesn't sit with them. You see, the blessed man is as much defined by who he isn't as who he is. He is not of the world and its ways. He stands in direct contrast to the world to the world and its ways. It doesn't give him his identity. It doesn't give him his satisfaction. It doesn't give him anything. He is absolutely removed from worldliness. There's not a drop of influence from the world in his life. Now, could you say that about yourself? I know I, I couldn't say that about myself. My life has been influenced by the world more than I care to admit. Every day I'm coming to terms with just how worldly I am. 
how formed my habits and affections are by the ways of the world and how influenced I am by men. And I see it especially now that I have kids. I'm seeing them formed by the same world. And in my heart, I'm screaming, no, no, stop, stop. But I feel powerless to stop it. They go to school, hear things from other kids, come home, copying it. Where'd you learn that? Stop it. But they don't know any better. Like the song says, we are prone to wander. We can't help it. We wander from God towards the world. It's our bent. And when we are bent towards the world, we are like a tree uprooted. Nothing to hold us or anchor us to the ground. But not the blessed man. He doesn't wander. Why? Because he is rooted in something else entirely. Something independent of the world. Independent of man. Look at verse 2. It says, But his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The Hebrew word translated law here is Torah. And Torah simply means instruction. It refers to God's instructions. Or in other words, God's word to men. This word is his revelation to us of how the world really is. It tells us, who God is. It tells us who we are. It tells us what has gone horribly wrong with the world. It tells us how to live in this world and ultimately how God is going to fix this world. This is the Torah. And what's amazing is it's not a rule book. It's a story. It's a story of God with mankind over time, given to us to instruct us in the will of God. And it is this Torah, this word of God, that is the root of the blessed man. It is what makes all the difference in his life. But he doesn't just treat it like a rule book to follow. Look again. The psalm doesn't say that he is blessed because he merely obeys the teaching of God. Now, wouldn't that be what we would expect it to say? Blessed is the man who obeys the law? But no, it doesn't say that. Jesus will say that in his sermon when he says, only the one who does the will of God can enter the kingdom of heaven. See, obedience does matter. But here in this psalm, it's making a different point. Why? Because obedience isn't enough. This blessed man delights in the law of the Lord. Let me ask you parents, which would you rather have a child who begrudgingly obeys you or a child who happily obeys you. Now, I know, I know you'll take either one, 
You just want obedience, right? As long as you do what I say, I'm good. But I'm asking, which would you prefer? See, there's something more satisfying to a parent in a child who happily obeys. Isn't there? Why? Because, because we take pleasure in our children when our children take pleasure in following us. And that's the picture here. The man is blessed not simply because he obeys, but because he delights in and takes pleasure in obeying. God's word is satisfying to him. He loves to hear it. He loves to speak it. He loves to live it. It's what roots him in the reality of God. It's what defines him. How many of us who call ourselves Christians would describe ourselves in this way? I think many of us often view Bible study like eating vegetables. We know it's good for us, but it's, it's not what we do for pleasure. There are a hundred other things we would rather do for pleasure than read our Bibles and think about the Bible and talk about the Bible. I know for me, if I'm, if I'm being honest, I would rather sleep. Early in the morning, I wake up and, and something in me says, go read, go read your Bible. But my body says, no, go back to sleep. In my flesh, I find more pleasure in in being unconscious than I do in delighting in God's word. What does that say about me? What does that say about us? If we're honest. But not for this man. This man can't get enough of God's word. And so he meditates on it day and night, every moment in between. He is feasting on it. He's saying it over and over and over and over again to himself. This is what the Hebrew word for meditate means. It's this mumbling, this repetition over and over. You're just saying it over and over and over again. And you know what happens when you say it over and over and over again? You memorize it. And when you memorize it, it goes down deep. This is a plug for joining us in our time of memorization as a church, the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, verse 1, for next week. This is the man who is rooted deep in something not of this world, but of God. See, those are the roots of the blessed man in contrast to the uprootedness of the cursed man. But now let's look at what their lives produce because a different quality of root means a different quality of fruit. Verses 3 and 4, let's look together. It says, he... Referring to the blessed man, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind blows away. Well, here we have 
a picture of the blessed man rooted down deep into the living water of the instructions of the Lord. And because he is rooted deep into the water, he does not wither, but he yields his fruit in its season. He is able to continually draw up what he needs from deep down, his life source. The streams of water never run dry, so he never runs dry. This talk of water got me thinking about water, and I could use some. I run dry. And because of his connection to the streams of water, everything he does prospers. What does that mean? It sounds a little too good to be true, doesn't it? Everything he does prospers. Who in this room can say that, that everything they have done has prospered. But that's because we have the wrong idea of prosperity. See, the world tells us that prosperity is health, wealth, power, status, and so on. The prosperous person in the eyes of the world has all the treasures of the world. Everything they touch seems to turn to gold, like King Midas, except in that Greek myth, what King Midas thought was a blessing of this power to, to turn anything he touched into gold, he soon realized was a curse because he sat down to a feast and realized he can't eat his food. He can't drink his wine. What a curse that kind of prosperity turned out to be. You know, it's like winning the lottery. Those who win the millions soon regret it. Those who gain the world, the Bible says, soon discover that they haven't truly gained anything, but have actually lost everything. So what then is true prosperity? Well, it isn't something that happens out there. It isn't about changing our circumstances so that we're never poor, so that we never are looked down upon. Rather, true prosperity is about your character. It's about what kind of person you are. Think of Charles Dickens' Christmas carols. Scrooge starts out with all the money any man could ever want. But what does he truly have? Nothing. He's a miserable, old grouch, a humbug. He lives alone in darkness. But if you know the story, throughout the story, he slowly transforms as he comes face to face with the consequences of his actions and his ultimate fate when he sees the reality of his true position in life. And so he transforms to become a kind, loving, gentle, generous man. And the story ends with Scrooge, happy for the first time in his life. For the first time in his life, you could call him blessed. This is the biblical picture of prosperity as the man rooted in God's word produces the fruit, not of the flesh, but of the spirit, 
Paul lists them in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are fruits. These are products of the godly life. Products of the spirit of the word indwelt life. True markers of prosperity. The good works of godliness. And how can we know that this is true prosperity? Well, there's a test. There's a test. There's a way for you to discern, is this prosperous? Is this true prosperity? And here's the test. You can only know if you are truly prospering in the heat of trial. When things go bad, if you are truly prospering, you lose nothing. The fruit of the Spirit are truly indestructible because they come from God himself. Not so with the worldly markers of prosperity. Money, possessions, power, status, health, beauty, influence, even your family. A lot of us think, oh, we are blessed because of our family. But even our family can be lost. All it takes is a natural disaster, a cancer diagnosis, a market crash, your friends turning on you. You know, you could be popular one day, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, all the other kids are laughing at you. Why? Because that's the way of the world. That is life under the sun. As we learned back over the summer in Ecclesiastes, everything under the sun is like vapor. It's like a mist. Here today, gone tomorrow. Or as Jesus puts it, like a house built on sand. When the waves come, when circumstances change, what you've built will just be destroyed. It's like chaff, the psalmist says in verse 4. Chaff like the shell of the wheat that blows away in the wind during the threshing. Like the candy wrapper. You get a piece of candy, pull a piece of candy out of your pocket, you unwrap it, put the piece of candy in your mouth. That's delightful, that's good. What do you do with the wrapper? Throw it away. Same thing. Take what's good, discard what's bad. This is the picture of the fruit of the cursed. And this leads us to our final section. But before we conclude here, let's just take a minute and assess. So far, which of these two types would you rather be? But then which of these two types, blessed or cursed, are you finding yourself identifying with more? Are you feeling the tension of this psalm? Good. That's God working on your heart. That's why we read and study the scripture. This is where the transformation takes place, is when we see ourselves for who we truly are in light of the revelation of God's word. So let's keep going on to our last section. So we had different roots, different fruits, 
And now for the third that's not like the others, different outcomes, verses five and six. The psalm ends with a concluding statement about the fate of the blessed man versus the fate of the cursed man. Look with me at verses five and six. Therefore, it says, therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. That word therefore suggests consequence. This necessarily following from what preceded regarding the blessed man and the cursed. Because of their uprootedness from God's word and their lack of fruitfulness, the cursed will perish. But because the blessed man is rooted in God's teaching and prospers with the good works of the Spirit, he will therefore stand righteous before God and in the fellowship of the righteous. Now, some of you here may be skeptical on this this whole concept of final judgment. You like the idea of a loving God. You like the idea of grace. You like the idea of, of mercy. But when it comes to judgment, you kind of back away a little bit. You don't want to get into that. But we can't escape it. So let me ask you a question. What value do you place on justice? As a concept, do you like the idea of justice? Do you want to see the good guys succeed? And do you want to see the bad guys punished? My four-year-old could answer the question. Then you see, you do believe in judgment. So why not think that God is going to have the final word at some point in time as he so chooses to reward the good and punish the bad? Unless you don't believe in God. But if there's no God, then who's to say what's good and what's bad? And so then you're stuck because without God, there's no good, there's no bad, there's no then justice. But you said you like the idea of justice, so you're stuck. You want justice for what's right and wrong, but you don't want a God who says what's right and wrong. You want to determine that for yourself. Except that's just anarchy. People making the rules. But here's the thing. See, I, I don't actually think that you don't believe in a final judgment. It's that you choose not to believe in a final judgment because the truth is you're afraid. You're afraid of where you will end up. Because deep down in your heart, you know what you truly deserve. Deep 
down in your heart. You know who you are before God. Don't think about other people. Don't compare yourself to other people. That's not what's happening here. This is a comparison. You before God. And if we're honest, we know where we stand. We know that we are actually the bad guy in this story. We are actually the wicked, worldly person. We are the sinners, the self-serving, self-seeking, self-defining. We know that we have sinned, that we have fallen short. But listen, it's okay. We all have. And that's the point of this psalm. There's a reason why, as we've been going through this psalm together, it's gotten uncomfortable. Because while we find ourselves rooting for this blessed man, yeah, the blessed man, everything he does prospers. I want to be like that guy. we realize that in truth, we're nothing like that guy. Not even close. We aren't the blessed. In fact, we're the cursed. We don't truly delight in God's word and find our fullest joy and pleasure in him. We don't produce good fruit and prosper in godliness. We are prone to wander. We are bent We are uprooted. And that was true of every Israelite who first heard this psalm, and it's true of every person here today. We are cursed before God. See, we all stand here in front of Psalm 1 at the narrow gateway to the life with God, and we compare ourselves to this blessed man, and we realize we don't measure up. We are all traveling on the other road, the wide and easy road, and that's bad news for all of us. Do you see it? Do you understand it? Do you accept it? Accept. Accept for one small detail in verse 6. It says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. That word knows doesn't simply mean he knows about, it means he intimately knows. It means he has experience of. It means he's familiar with. Now, what does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. Remember in John 14 when Jesus says those famous words, he says what? I am the way. 
It means that the road to God is what? It is Jesus Christ, God incarnate. The Lord knows the way because why? He is the way. Christ is the way of righteousness. But what's more, Jesus says, I am the truth. Not only is he the very way of righteousness, but he is also the truth, the instruction of God, the word of God. He is the word made flesh. And that's not all. He says, I am the life, the good, blessed life that we are all seeking is Jesus himself. Jesus is the life. And then finally he says, remember? I am the way, the truth, and the life. What does he say next? No one comes to the Father except what? Through me. Do you see it? Jesus is also the gateway. He is the gateway into the life with God. Jesus Christ is just pouring out of this psalm. It's all about him. Everything that is good in Psalm 1 is Jesus Christ. Do you see it? Do you believe it? But here's the best part. The one who is the way, who is the truth, who is the life, and who is the gate became flesh, and he became the man. He became the man that could enter the gate and successfully walk the path according to the truth, rooted in the truth, and experience the blessed life of bountiful fruit. He is the blessed man because only he can be the blessed man. See, it all comes together in Christ. The way of God, the word of God, the life of God, the gateway to God in the flesh. He was successful where we cannot be. He took on our flesh and rooted himself in himself. The flesh, the flesh of a real man rooted in the word of God. And from the wellspring of himself, this man we know as Jesus was perfect in life, godly in all ways. He was perfectly loving, kind, joyful, peaceful, gentle, good, faithful, self-controlled. Everything we read about the blessed man, God himself was. But why? So he lived that life. Good for him. So he is the only one who can live that life. Great. I'm still stuck over here. Not so fast. See, the most amazing part of this blessed man is that this blessed man also became the cursed When he died on the cross, he was cursed in our place. When he died on the cross, 
he accepted the result of the life of the wicked. Now just think about that. This righteous man lives the perfect life, fully blessed, but then goes to the cross in the way of sinners, in the way of the wicked, in the way of the cursed, in the way of us. Why? He became the rootless man. He became the fruitless man. He became the condemned man so that he might impute his righteousness to us. It's a transfer. He lived the perfect life, then died our wicked death so that we could live this wicked life and somehow, through him, have the blessed life, have all that is to come for those who are blessed. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were wicked and cursed, even then he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that at the coming ages he might show what? The immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Is that not the blessed life? An eternity of blessing with God why? Because the one who is the way, who is the truth, who is the life, who is the gateway into the life of God, took on our flesh and crucified it in our place. So which way would you like to go? Which path would you like to take? Because there is a choice. You can go your own way. Or you can let him lead you on his way. You can receive what's coming to you if you go your own way. Or you can go his way and receive what's come to him. Doesn't this sound like something you want? Then let go of the world. Let go of the world. Let go of the counsel of the world, the thoughts, the philosophies, of the world. Let it go. I beg you, it is only dragging you down to the pit where you will perish. Instead, cling to Christ, the truth. Delight in Christ, the life. Join with Christ, the way. 
and enter through him the gateway to the road of life, blessed life with God. If you do that, you will truly be called blessed. Let's pray. Father, you are the one who blesses and you are the one who curses. It is in your right to do this. You are God, you are creator, you are judge. You are the truth. And Father, we stand born into this world of sin as wicked people, as cursed people. The life we live produces nothing of value, nothing of worth, nothing of true glory. It all fades. It all crumbles. It all gets tossed with the wind. But Lord, we see another path. In your word today, we see another path, the path of the righteous man, and his name is Jesus. And he came to free us from the curse by becoming the curse himself. Father, we praise you for that truth today. And I ask that you now work in our hearts, reveal this truth for those who have never before heard this. Lord, may they receive it with hope seeing it in contrast to the way that they've been living, draw them into your wellspring of life, Lord. For those of us who have been walking with you, Father, forgive us for our stumbles. Forgive us for our wandering. Bring us back onto this road. Let us walk with you and delight in you and find our hope and joy and satisfaction in you and you alone. Let us abandon the world. And Lord, I pray for this church, us as a people. Would we stand in contrast to the world, a people rooted in Christ, glorifying the name of Jesus because he and he alone is the way and the truth and the life. We thank you, Father, for feeding us this word today. May you be blessed in us as we bless you with our praise. In Jesus' name.